Good afternoon and welcome to Inside Redeemer with Jerry Woolbanks. Today is Wednesday, March 20th, 2013. Today's Lenten service is being broadcast from inside the Redeemer Lutheran Church, located at 5700 Lawndale Street in Houston, Texas. The Reverend Grant Housewright will deliver the Holy Gospel for today, and Pastor Grant and Nancy Housewright will deliver the dialogue titled, The Innocent Lord, and Janet Ragnar will read the Bible readings. Our Sunday worships begin at 10.30 a.m. Good afternoon. It's good to see you today. I'm really glad you're here. I want to uh, remind everyone, if you haven't heard yet, about Mrs. Uh, Olson being in the hospital after uh, a major stroke in the right side of her brain. And uh, as of this morning, I didn't hear anything new. Have you heard new? To a, to a long-term care? Okay. It's either... Hospice? Okay. Yeah, everything's, you know, of course, since this happened Monday morning early, everything's kind of in the air. They're talking about long-term care. They're talking about hospice. They're talking about a lot of things until they can narrow something down. So, but the point is right now, as soon as I hear, and the family has told me, as soon as I hear that it's okay for visitors, I am to let you know. So, all what we can do now, we can visit her in other forms. We can visit her in support of her family, in support of her, and in prayer. So we shall remember. And Pastor Putman is at uh, Tuscany Assisted Living or whatever, the, rehab. Uh, yeah, it's a 518 and um, 288. And uh, he's, doing, he's doing better there than he was before. So, and his attitude is very good. And it would be for me too if I was in his shoes because... If Nancy was to visit me, she lives closer. Paula lives closer. And, uh, and it's, he's closer to where they live. So it makes it so much easier. Um, any other concerns? This is a, a nice informal service. Any other concerns that someone would like to uh, share? Yes. That, see, uh, Ruby came in the office and said, please remember. And when somebody uses the word with me on remember, then I get scared. We are going to, whoever would like to stay behind for a while today after the service, they're going to make, make those crosses. I remember Bobby and Dell and I and uh, Robert here, we couldn't figure out how to make them. We watched everybody do it. You know, you weave to make those crosses out of those palm strips. Have fun. They're pretty, in my opinion, they're pretty rough. It's like everything I learned, I learned in kindergarten, but I must have missed that one. So, if you'd like to hang back and make some crosses today, that'd be great. We appreciate that. On April the 7th, we're having an anniversary celebration of being together with the, our Redeemer Episcopal brothers and sisters. That service is at 10.30, a communion service with blended traditions and uh, music, both uh, choirs. And uh, we're going to be doing that on the 10.30 service, April the 7th, followed by a potluck. And you'll get more information on that. But that's what we're doing. Yes. This coming Friday, 9 a.m., we'll be cleaning the church, annual cleaning, our Lenten annual cleaning in preparation for Easter. Yeah, that's why, yeah, we're going to have Good Friday. Well, not this coming. This coming Friday is the cleaning. Yeah, two, two days from now, the cleaning, right, March 22. You got me for a second there. That was pretty good. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, you made me think. Glad you're all here. Anything else? 
So we begin a few moments for silence, please. Our first hymn, number 296, please stand.
Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And now when the centurion saw what had taken place, Behold my servant. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In the confidence of God's grace in Christ, let us confess our sins to him. Please sit or kneel for the confession. And as has been said and understood before, in these Wednesday services, our confession is silent. The Apostle John, speaking by the Spirit, promises that if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And our Lord Jesus himself tells his disciples, if you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. Therefore, as a called pastor of Christ's church, I declare to you that all your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I didn't put an amen on there, but I'll hear it from you. <laughs> Very good. You may be seated. We will read responsively Psalm 94, verses 12 through 23. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? My soul. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O oh Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied against you, those who frame injustice by statute? But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out of their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. Holy God, in eternity past, you saw your willful fallen, yet you loved us as a crown of your creation and sent your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, your faithful servant, to be our Savior. 
And though he had done no wrong, the innocent Lord willingly went to the cross to save guilty sinners. Grant that by faith his suffering and innocence will be accounted ours, all to your glory. In the name of Jesus we pray, one God with you and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The first reading is from Isaiah 53, verses 7 to 9. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that has its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered what he was, that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. The second reading is from 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 25. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should, should be put to silence and ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using their freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have been returned to the shepherd and overseer of his souls. Thank you, Janet. Will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? And the gospel for this day is written in the gospel according to St. Luke in the 13th chapter. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who is misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, 
I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison, for insurrection started in the city, and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, Why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death, so I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but delivered Jesus over to their will. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, here we are today, and my friend is here. Isabel told me that you would be here, poring over books in the University Law Library. Well, what in the world are you doing here, Pastor? Well, I was about to ask you the same thing. I'm Tina, continuing... This morning, cleared things up, and here I am. Researching false arrest and imprisonment. Right. I'm going to sue the officer, the police department, the jailer. I'm, I'm not gonna... sure that'll do much good. You, you know, Jesus was completely innocent, and he was arrested. Well, I'm not Jesus, and I'm mad. This is all backwards. They ought to be spending their time locking up the bad guys instead of wasting taxpayers' dollars locking up the good guys. And you're the good guy? Of course I am. You don't drink, you don't dance, you don't hang out with all those people who do all those things. Right. Well, well, no. Now, just a minute. You're getting me all confused. No, what I'm trying to do is just remind you that even if you didn't commit the, uh, the crime for which you were wrongly arrested, you and I... And all of us are still sinners. Now, Jesus, on the other hand, was innocent. Innocent of all sin, and yet he was arrested, and he was condemned, even though Pontius Pilate proclaimed his innocence. Yeah, I remember that from last week. Since then, I've been doing some more reading in Isaiah and reviewing that passion story in the Gospels. And it wasn't just Herod and Pontius Pilate who believed Jesus was innocent. Who else did you discover? Well, let's see. There was Judas... When he returned the money he got for betraying Jesus, he actually said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And then there was a Roman centurion. As he watched Jesus die, not cursing or condemning anybody, but forgiving his tormentors, the centurion, he said, certainly this man was innocent. And, of course, there's Pilate's wife. She told her husband to have nothing to do with that righteous man. It's just as Isaiah says. He had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. You'd think that the criminals that conspired against God's innocent servant, Jesus, would have been arrested and condemned. But no, it was Jesus. It's all backwards, like me getting arrested and not the real perpetrator of evil. God must have planned it that way. He made everything backwards to show us that his values are not at all the values of sinful humankind. How do you mean? Well, the Bible is just full of places where God turns human values upside down. 
and exalts his own in his own stark contrast. Do you remember Jesus saying, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me? We always think we deserve better than what life dishes out. But Jesus says that the essence of being a disciple is taking up the cross. I take that to mean Christians should expect and be willing to suffer injustice for the sake of Jesus. So we don't always get points for good behavior, but instead might even get persecuted for it? Exactly. By putting up with persecution for bearing the name of Christ in the world isn't a problem when you see your old self as dead and buried in your baptism. It says in Romans, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's what Jesus said, and in Romans, Paul talked about the fact it's not a problem if you see your old self as, uh, as dead in baptism. Well, that's just the opposite of the world's point of view, isn't it? The world tells us, well, get a life, and it's all about me. But when we follow the world's advice, that's when we actually lose our life. Following Jesus and considering ourselves dead to the world... But alive to God is when we finally get the life we really want. Yeah, that is backwards from the way most people think. That's right, my friend. And Jesus shows us what getting a life means when he washes his disciples' feet at the Last Supper. Just imagine the Lord of the universe taking on the role of a slave. Somewhere I remember Jesus saying, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Nobody can say that Jesus didn't practice what he preached. So what I'm gathering from all this is that being persecuted when I'm not guilty of anything and serving others even when I think I'm more important than they are is just part of being a Christian part of accepting God's upside-down value system. Oh, you're getting it. You're getting it now. You're getting it just as faithful believers have for thousands of years. Hannah, the mother of Samuel, got it after being persecuted by the priest for being drunk when she wasn't and after being mocked by a second wife because she didn't have children, Hannah gave birth to Samuel. And she sang this song, the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. And those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. And then there's Mary's song after she learns from the angels she'll be the mother of the Savior. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. There's just nothing about God's values and the gospel that squares with the world's values and beliefs. But we shouldn't be surprised. The Old Testament prepared us for this. Isaiah lays it all out for us. Yahweh's righteous servant would be the perfect lamb who takes upon himself our transgressions, who would be stricken for the transgressions of the people. Still, it really doesn't seem fair. No, I'm not sure we even want fair. Fair says God condemns the world. Fair says you and I and everybody dies for our sins. That we spend eternity in hell. Thank God he isn't fair. Thank God Jesus made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. 
although he had done no violence, or nor was any deceit found in his mouth. I agree with you. Thank God he isn't fair, and that instead of getting what we deserve, we get God's grace and forgiveness through his son, the innocent lamb of God who died for us. But what about that verse you just quoted? I've got questions. Such as? Such as, they made his grave with the wicked. Jesus wasn't buried with anyone else, was he? No, the Bible tells us the grave Jesus was buried in was a brand new tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a tomb that was never used. So who's the wicked person he was buried with? Well, you could say that Joseph of Arimathea and all the sinners of the world were buried with Jesus by faith through holy baptism. And when Jesus was buried, and we're all buried with him in baptism, he takes us and all our sins into the tomb with him so that when he arises from the dead, our sins are left behind. Hmm. I hadn't looked at it that way before. But just the fact that Jesus didn't even have his own tomb, I mean, how humiliating. Oh, sorry, but actually it's not humiliating. Everything Jesus, Jesus experienced from the moment he died to this very day and forever is part of his exaltation. Yeah, but a borrowed tomb, Pastor. Yeah, not, not so fast. Crucifixion was humiliating. It was an expression of contempt. But as awful as crucifixion was, it wasn't the ultimate expression of contempt. Well, what could be worse? What could be worse would be not to be buried. You see, a victim of crucifixion was gen generally left to hang on the cross, exposed to the weather, the birds, the wild animals. Eventually, the corpse would just fall to the ground. And what was left would be decomposed or be dragged off by dogs. That didn't happen to Jesus. I wonder why. Because his humiliation was over. With his last breath, his exaltation began. Being granted a proper burial in a tomb, not just a hole in the ground like a pauper or a stranger, but in a rich man's tomb. That was the beginning of the glorification of Jesus. I'm not so sure, Pastor. Doesn't the creed say that Jesus descended into hell? I had a Sunday school teacher once who told me that was so that he could be punished for our sins. Well, actually, that's part of the exaltation of Jesus, too. You know, it's from the phrase in Peter's first letter, and he says, Christ also suffered once for, our, for, our, for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Did you catch that? To be honest, Pastor, no. No, I didn't catch that. Okay. Peter says, Christ also suffered once for us. Just before Jesus died, he said, it is finished. If Jesus then goes to hell to be punished some more, then it's not finished. Okay, I see what you're saying. So then what's Jesus proclaiming in prison, otherwise known as hell? Maybe nothing verbally, but just the fact that he appears... Uh, appears alive in hell after being crucified, proclaims to the devil and all the unrepentant that Christ has won the battle and that began in heaven between God and Satan long, long ago. The war is over. Jesus is a victor. Nothing and no one can ultimately threaten the children of God ever, ever again. The children of God. 
That would be all the believers in Jesus, right? Yes. Pastor, I'm not trying to be funny here, but the risen Jesus making proclamation to the devil in hell sounds a little like a football player's victory dance in the end zone after he makes a touchdown. Well, I probably wouldn't put it that way, but actually it's not a bad comparison. So what's left after Jesus' appearance in hell? Well, after his appearance in hell on Easter Sunday morning, he appears to his friends. First, he appears to Mary Magdalene, and then that evening to two disciples as they're traveling on the road to Emmaus, and then to Peter, and then the ten disciples in the upper room, and a week later to the eleven, and so on, until finally... Until finally he appears to the disciples in Galilee, and then he ascends into heaven, and the clouds receive him out of their sight. You got it. So how does all this relate to me today, in this place, trying to see if I have a case against the officer who arrested me, the police department, the jailer, and all those people who had a part in my humiliating experience of being arrested and jailed? Oh, I'll bet you know the answer already. I'll bet I do, too. I'm thinking those guys were just doing their duty. It was an honest mistake, and no harm was really done. On the other hand, Jesus was completely innocent, and yet he let himself be humiliated to the point of death for me. If he can do that for me, I can carry the cross for him any time. Pastor, will you help me put these books back? Sure, but then I need to get back to the office. I've still got a lot of work to do between today and Easter. Well, then I'm betting you don't want to spend the night in jail, so let me draw you a map of just exactly where that police roadblock is. That would be good. I'd like to have that map. <laughs> let us pray, please. Jesus, our innocent Lord, we thank you for taking our place on the cross. And we thank you for bearing all our sins to the grave, to the grave with you in holy baptism. So grant that we live in a new and a holy life, free from vindictive pride, always willing to take up your cross. We pray everything in your holy name. Amen. At this time, my friends, we're going to gratefully receive your offering. We give thee but thine own, whatever the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone, a trust, O Lord, from thee. May we thy bounties thus as stewards true receive, and gladly as thou blessest us to thee, our first fruits give. Amen. Let us pray. On the night you were arrested, Lord, you were found guilty. But we know the truth. We know you are innocent. We are the ones who are guilty. We are the ones who should be put on trial and convicted for what we have done to disobey our God. Thank you for taking our place in the defendant's chair for us so that we might be found innocent through your sacrifice. Servant of God, the innocent Lord. When Pilate washed his hands, he claimed he was innocent of your blood. But yet he turned you over to be crucified. Forgive us for the times when we proclaim to be innocent of hurting you, when in fact we are not treating you as we ought. Remind us always that our actions speak louder than our words. Servant of God, the innocent Lord. The thief on your right side while you were on the cross, knew that he was being punished justly 
for his crimes, and he knew that your innocent blood would bring him salvation. So he pleaded, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Help us in our prayer life to remember who we are as sinners and who you are, our Savior. By your grace, welcome us into your kingdom. Servant of God, the innocent Lord. You promised the thief on the right, today you will be with me in paradise. Assure us in our guilty state that there is a place for us in heaven where we will dwell with you forever, covered by your robe of righteousness, servant of God, the innocent Lord. Keep us mindful of the innocence that you grant to each one of us through your cross, that we might be always forgiving of others, always willing to give people a second chance, and always aware of the fact that each one of us is your brother or your sister, an important member of your family of faith because of your innocent suffering and death. Servant of God, the innocent Lord, for these and any other concerns we have in our hearts this day, we ask that you would guide us in holy living for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's join hands and pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Now may God the Father who has created you, God the Son who has redeemed you, and God the Holy Spirit who has sanctified you, always keep you in his love and his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Go in peace, remember the poor.